Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Follower Podcast. Man, it's been a while since I've been with you guys. Uh, I've been doing ministry all over the place and studying a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, yeah, just been busy, man, just doing the things, but it's really cool to be back in your ears and uh, taking this journey of following Jesus together. So before we jump straight in, uh, a few housekeeping things, a little bit of admin. I just wanted to raise some stuff that's been stirring in my spirit that I wanted to share with you. And I'm going to do that in the form of a confession, a conviction, and then a comment. So first of all, the confession. Uh, I have a friend who very graciously sits with me every now and then and helps me kind of deal with my spirituality and my journey with God and uh, all these kinds of things. And and one of the things he said to me about a year ago was, uh, Matt, in this journey you're taking now, never pursue a platform. Just make sure that if you have one, you have something to say. And in the moment, I was like ooing and ah, you know, it was like sage-like wisdom coming from this friend. Um, but if I'm honest, as I reflect over the last couple of months, I think I've done the exact opposite <laughs> of that. I think I found myself pursuing a whole bunch of platforms. And as I think about why I've been doing that, uh, and this is the reason why I'm sharing it, I actually think it's uh, the product of a common struggle that a lot of people like me who find themselves in some kind of missionary capacity experience where um, you step out into this place, you're trusting God to provide for your every need, and then people start to support your work. And all of a sudden, you kind of develop this performance anxiety where you feel like you have to have something to show. You have to be seen to be doing something. And so then as a result, you just start getting busy doing stuff, right? And then you add that to it like a very unhealthy attachment of identity to action. So who you are is what you do. And then you throw into that the mix of the poison of ego. Um, and it starts to become this really uh, broken space of spiritual formation and spirituality. And so as I've been reflecting the last couple of weeks, and as I was preparing these podcasts, there was just that stirring in my soul. And, and I would say like a nudge from God, just a cautionary note, just to say like, Matt, uh, why are you doing this? You know, and 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 stop pursuing platforms and tr stop trying to be known. Owen McManus, uh, he just brought out a book called The Way of the Warrior, and um, one of the things that he said in a video clip I watched was that you know our generation, our problem is that we want to be known before we're worth knowing, <laughs> which is so challenging to me. And I think what he means by that is that there's this there's this drive inside of us to be noted notable and and infamous and famous and and something in the eyes of the world and and honestly i just don't want to give in to um that temptation which leads me to a conviction so so when i look around at the world i just see that the dominant narrative is more and more and more right get more become more make more um, and even when i started this podcast and i started getting into social media and all of the things that go with it a lot of the research around uh, this medium is is the idea of content creation. So this idea that you should always be making something and putting it out there, like you should always be having stuff to put out there. And I think while I probably agree with that on a marketing level, it's probably great marketing strategy. I just don't think it's good soul strategy. I don't think living in that place where you have to consistently be creating stuff in order to feed a machine of demand is good for your spirituality. I really, really 
don't, and I don't think it's good for me, and I don't think it's good for you. I don't think the stuff that comes out of that place is actually going to be ultimately really, really beneficial to you. I think it just adds to the existing noise of our culture rather than saying something fresh and new. So off the back of that conviction, here's the comment. Uh, as I've been traveling around and meeting different people all, all over the world, in fact, there have been different people who've been listening to the podcast, which is awesome, uh, and they've been you know, uh, really asking, when are we going to get another episode, or when's the new series coming out? And as encouraging as that is, and I'm grateful for it, that it's helping you, um, I just wanted to caution and say we must never let the podcast or anything else that I'm creating become the point. Uh, it's not the point. Uh, follower by name, follower by nature, right? The point is Jesus and following him. And a podcast or a book or a video or anything that comes out is only ever the product of that, yeah? So, so if I can just say, don't always expect another episode because there might not always be one. Uh, the, the point is to follow Jesus and then whatever comes out of that following. So, you know, when we're done with the series, who knows what's going to happen? There may be something that's spurred off the back of that, or there may not be. Uh, we may go quiet for a while. It really depends on where the journey of following Jesus takes us. Um, technology is a fantastic medium. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, we have this capacity to connect with the world in a way that we haven't had in the past. And I do think that those of us who want to tell the story, uh, we should really be leveraging this technology to our advantage. I really think that. But there's always the danger that you become a product of the medium instead of using the medium to, to tell, the, tell the story, right? And so we just want to avoid that. So with all that said, um, let's hold this lightly. Let's keep Jesus the main thing, right? There's always the temptation to, to miss the main thing and be lured away by all the glittering vices of this world that would tempt us to give our devotions and our affections to anything but God. And that's, that's just as much a danger in the ministry world as any other world. Just because my work is about God as a subject matter doesn't mean that it's always given to God in devotion, right? And so we just got to guard, guard our hearts in that area and make sure that our motivations are clean and pure. Cool. So with all that said, that's the admin out of the way. Let's enjoy this journey uh, that's ahead of us. Uh, I think it's going to be a good one. And let's jump straight into it. Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is the Follower Podcast. And everyone is invited to the conversation. A death in the family and other good news. Every time I say that title, I get just like a little bit of joy. Um, that, that's where we're going for the next couple of weeks. And I know that um, just that title has resulted in uh, more than a few raised eyebrows and then actually a whole bunch of excitement and expectation um, from people who've been looking at it. And that's kind of the point because at the heart of this title, really all, it, all I'm trying to do is um, use a catchy phrase to draw our attention to an ancient truth that many of us have uh, rejected due to misunderstanding or disregarded due to indifference or disengaged from due to familiarity. Uh, and it is actually the story that lies at the heart of everything that it means to follow Jesus. And I would submit everything it means to be human. And it all starts with something called the gospel. Now, 
That's the issue, right? I know that as soon as I say the word gospel, there's a whole bunch of people who zone out. In fact, some of you are really disappointed because you thought you were tuning in to listen to something edgy and cool and and interesting. And here's this guy talking about the gospel. You feel like a victim of uh, of false advertising. I get it. I get it. Uh, Because the problem is that, you see, when I say gospel, a lot of people are thinking about a whole bunch of things. Some of you are thinking about gospel as a genre of music. Other people have images of like of some angry person shouting at them, telling them that they're going to go to hell uh, and that they're terrible sinners. And then, I mean, particularly in South Africa, right? The word gospel at the moment conjures up all kinds of images of of prophets and bishops and major whatevers doing all kinds of ridiculous things that that at best make the gospel seem uh, ludicrous, and actually at worst make the gospel seem profoundly corrupted. And And what I want to do in this series is I want to help us see that nothing could actually be further from the truth. In fact, that expectation that you had for something edgy and interesting and something that engages you at the core of who you are, something that would pull you out of your kind of slumbering in the world at the moment and into something of significance, that is exactly what the gospel is. Is And I'm convinced that if we'll just give ourselves to really exploring it over the next few weeks, we're going to find something that is dynamic. Um, and so I just want to encourage us, you know, whether you're new to this idea of gospel or whether, uh, whether you're familiar with it, uh, try and come at it with fresh eyes and an open heart. Um, because I think that everybody actually has something to learn. And I think that what's buried in this idea is something that will revive us and bring new life to us actually at the deepest level of who we are. Now, the word gospel, if you didn't know, means good news. And the beginning of this good news is actually the declaration that there has been a death in the family, which granted might not seem like good news, right? But unlike other deaths, this death is different. See, the news of this death is in fact the greatest news in the history of good news. It is glorious news, not so much because of the death itself, but because of the one who did the dying. And and not only is this death good news, but it results in good news. It's like a bomb that went off in the center of human history and then sent ripples across all the way into the farthest corners of the past and the furthest corners of the future. Ripples of redemptive life and life to the full that now have the power to impact all people everywhere forever. See, my conviction is that the gospel is the gift that those of us who follow Jesus hold out to a hurting and broken world. Not more self-help, not more medication, not excessive romanticized kind of entertainment and escapism, but the gospel. It is this unexpected declaration that there's been a death in the family and that this death has changed everything. Not just for some people in some places, but for all people in all places forever. And so over the next few weeks, uh, we're actually going to consider this story by pulling apart the pieces of the title in seven different episodes, 
one by one, and we're going to try and look at it angle by angle and really get into what it is that this gospel is calling us to recognize, hiding right here in the midst of our world. So I'm hoping that you're going to come, come along with me in this journey, and I'm hoping actually that you'll bring other people. Here's my encouragement to you. If you have people in your world who have written off the gospel uh, for all kinds of reasons, this would be a great series to invite them to listen to. If you yourself have been part of the journey of following Jesus for some time and your heart has grown cold to the miracle of the story that lies at the center of your faith, this is going to be a good series to help you ignite some of that passion and other people like you who find themselves in um Now... In order for us to start this journey of understanding the gospel and getting into the gospel, we have to start by doing a little bit of work on ourselves. Um, Whether we want to admit it or not, you and I exist in a world that doesn't make the God conversation easy. Uh, What I mean by that is that we wake up every morning and we dive into an ocean of paradigms that many of us are even oblivious to. These paradigms are not so much chosen, they're actually given to us by social media and advertising and pop psychology, and they profoundly affect the way we see the world. So before we start talking about this death in the family, we have to at least acknowledge that some of the paradigms um, that influence us are not helpful in that conversation. Now, one of these relates to how we view the concept of goodness. We've said that this gospel is good news, but what exactly do we mean by good? In fact, when we consider the world that we live in today, what does the idea of goodness even mean? So, so to get into this, I think about a story that, that, that happened when I was a young kid, right? So we're at the dinner table. Um, on one side of the dinner table, you've got my grandmother on my mom's side. Now, my gran, she was a royalist. If her and the queen had ever met, they honestly would have just been best friends with their corgis and muffins and tea parties, okay? And my gran, she was uh, intense about table manners. And so one of the things you would never, ever do in front of my grandmother at the table was burp. You may want to burp. You may even desperately need to burp. But you would never burp in front of my grandmother at the table. Burping was not good. In fact, sometimes, still now, even though my gran has has passed away, if I'm at the table and I feel like a burp coming on, I just can't do it, man. I feel like I feel like my gran's watching me in that moment, you know. Then on the other side of the table, you've got my grandfather from my dad's side. Now, my grandfather was a very eccentric dude, and he had like this keen interest in books and reading and other cultures. And what he had come across in his reading is that in certain certain cultures, burping was not only tolerated, it was celebrated. In fact, in some cultures, you had to burp at the end of the meal to thank the host for the food. And so my grandfather, eccentric as he was, took it upon himself to adopt this culture as his own. And he would burp with gratitude after every meal. Uh, Because after all, burping to my grandfather was very, very Good. So you can only imagine the tension that exists between my eccentric grandfather and then my royalist grandmother, uh, who are both acting out of their understanding of, of goodness in this moment. So now, take that situation and then you amplify it exponentially. And this is what you arrive at in the current state of our world. So I think, uh, as I look at our world, that as people, we've just grown tired and weary of the tension that exists in trying to discover what is truly good. 
Okay, And so what we've done instead is we've opted uh, for this position where we champion a warped understanding of tolerance in which goodness is purely the product of personal preference. So we have phrases like, if it's good for you, then do it. And as a result, we resist any kind of claim to absolute truth or normative morality. Um, and we opt instead for like a human-centered pursuit of pleasure. And that pursuit is actually our highest ethic. Now, the great irony of this tolerance-saturated worldview is the degree to which it's so incredibly intolerant of anyone who points out the obvious flaws in his perspective. What flaws am I talking about? I'm talking about flaws that are only now, after years of conforming to this unsustainable way of seeing the world, only now starting to show themselves. And tragically, the consequences of these flaws are far more severe than just an argument at a dining room table over burping. See, if you look at the world today, we're seeing spikes of depression and anxiety and other kinds of mental illness. Uh, there is a disintegration of the family unit and the result of detachment disorder among those who are affected by divorce, which is really, it's like an, at epidemic proportions across our world, right? Uh, healthy sexuality and the abuse of pornography and the resultant violent crimes that come from over-eroticized sexual appetites, these kinds of things, particularly in South Africa, have spiraled out of control. So what's happened is we've cast off restraint of ultimate goodness or normative goodness, and we've started to feast at the table of our own self-indulgent relativism. And it's making us profoundly, profoundly sick as a society. Now, why have we done this? Is it because uh, we have a rational, plausible argument uh, that is rooted in a sincere desire to become better versions of ourselves against absolute truth or absolute goodness? Um, that's how it's presented often, and that's how the proponents of relativism, they want you to think that. But the more I speak with people like this, uh, who have this view that throws off all restraint, the more I've found that the reasons for it are, are actually only superficially intellectual and found anyone, is at the core not actually empirical, rational, mature, concerned or, or dialogical in its nature. This is not actually a conversation. Instead, what I see again and again and again is rebellion and selfishness at the heart of this. And, and let me say before, I'm not picking a fight, I see this in myself as much as I see it in anybody else. I see that the reason that we reject the ideas of absolute goodness is because we realize that if we accept it, we are accountable to it. Right? If there is such a thing as ultimate goodness, well, then we have to curb our desires. We have to say no to our impulses. And we have to surrender our longings to define good and evil according to our own wayward appetites and then submit to an authority that is beyond us. And quite frankly, that is not as fun as doing whatever you want in the moment. And that's true. <laughs> How, anybody who's tried to walk this road of following Jesus knows that that is true. That submission to a higher ethic is probably not as fun as self-indulgence, at least not initially. But the more I look at the world we're living in, and the more I realize that indulgence may be fun in a moment, but it's not beneficial over a lifetime. Because um, 
although it pains me to say it, I've proven to myself time and time again that without guidance, man, I am so profoundly misdirected in discerning what's truly good. And the more I live into my own conceptions of goodness, the more I just end up wrecking myself. I don't know if you can relate to that. And so the more I think about this, the more I think about this in my own life and in the life uh, of the world that I'm a part of and people that I speak to, I'm reminded of a story of the rich young ruler in the book of Mark, chapter 10. Um, We find this guy in a moment of desperation. Uh, We see him running to Jesus and falling at the feet of Jesus with a question that I believe actually all of us are asking. I actually think that this is the question that's underneath all of our dysfunction and at the same time all of the goodness that we see in humanity. And the question he asks is, he says, good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, uh, before you push back on that, I know that you might not want to frame the question in those specific religious terms. Uh, but, But let me assure you, if you just take some time to get honest with yourself for just a moment, that is the question you are asking. The deepest part of who who you are, who who we all are, is looking for the eternal. And not just, we have to move away, when we talk about eternal life, we've got to move away from just perceiving as as a conception of length, like this is a long time, right? Eternal life is not, that word eternal is not only qualitative in its nature, or quantitative in its nature, it's qualitative, right? It means that it's eternally meaningful, uh, substantial, connected, authentic, there's a depth to it and a breadth to it. It's not only eternity, an eternal time, it's an eternally weighted experience, eternal in its substance. And that is what we're looking for in an age of plastic counterfeit realities. Now, what do we know about this young man, right? At least three things right off the bat. We know that he's rich, that he's young, and that he's a man. So in other words, we know that he had wealth, youth, and in a male-dominated culture, he had power And none of those things were satisfying the deepest longing of his soul. If they were, he wouldn't be kneeling at the feet of Jesus. He, like you, like me, he's failed to satisfy an eternal appetite with a temporary diet. And what's fascinating in the story is not only his question, but Jesus' response. So he asks Jesus, he's a good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life, right? And Jesus' response is, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In this moment, as in pretty much every moment when Jesus is involved, there is so much more going on than meets the eye. So so what is Jesus doing? Let me tell you what he's not doing. He's not denying his godness. He's not correcting the young man for inappropriately ascribing a goodness to him that only belongs to God. In fact, the exact opposite is is what's happening here. Uh, See, remember, we always have to remember context whenever we're reading uh, the the text itself, right? So this story is taking place in a time when Jesus had burst into a culture that was waiting for a savior. And many were wondering, um, but they weren't yet convinced uh, if Jesus was in fact the Savior. So which, when, the, when the rich young man falls at the feet of Jesus and opens with the title, Good Teacher, what is he doing? He's playing it safe. 
He has recognized something powerful in Jesus. Perhaps he's even heard the stories of Jesus healing people. Perhaps he's seen it and even heard Jesus' teachings. Whatever the reason, something about Jesus, a great goodness, perhaps, has brought this man to the feet of Jesus. However, for reasons that become clear later, the young man won't come all the way to Jesus. He stops at calling him a good teacher. And isn't this uh, what so many of us have done throughout the ages, right? Even in our world at the moment, we talk about the tension of the tolerant culture and all that kind of stuff. But you won't meet a whole lot of resistance if you're happy to just relegate Jesus to the category of another good teacher. In fact, almost everyone is willing to accept Jesus in these terms, except Jesus. <laughs> again and again and again, Jesus, uh, people try to, to minimize Jesus down, and again and again and again, he refuses to be relegated to just another anything. Jesus' insistence is that he is so much more than that. And so I imagine this moment, right? Come with me into this imagination. This young man runs. He's, it's dusty because it's always dusty in the time of Jesus, right? He falls at the feet of Jesus. He's kneeling down before this Jesus. And in a moment, their eyes are locking. And with a desperation, he asks Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? And then I imagine Jesus looking back at him, almost with like a twinkle in his eye and a smirk that breaks across his face. And his response is, why do you call me good. Only God is good. And perhaps in a moment of revelation that breaks into the heart of this young man as he realizes maybe for the first time exactly who it is that's standing in front of him, uh, something shifts in his soul. <laughs> now, maybe you're like this man. Maybe your places of wealth and youth and power or whatever version of those you've been trying to satisfy yourself with have left you empty. Your eternal longing has not been satisfied. Maybe you recognize something profoundly and undeniably good about Jesus, but maybe you're still holding back, hoping that you can receive the gift of his presence, of his knowledge, of his teaching, while denying the truth of his person. But fortunately or unfortunately for you, depending, Jesus looks at you and he looks at me in the same way that he looked at this young man. And he says again and again and again to all of us, to our world, to the doubting society, to those who would try and minimize him. He looks at us and he says, only God is good. Your longing has brought you to my feet. You have recognized goodness in me and you are right. I am exactly what you thought I am. But you can't walk into the fullness of my goodness and deny the reality of my godness. Because, friends, goodness is godness. <laughs> See, Jesus, he's everything that we're looking for. He is the satisfaction to the longing of the human soul. He is the balm for the wounds of a world bent on self-destruction. But we cannot access his healing by keeping him at arm's length. To experience his goodness, we must acknowledge his godness. And the ramifications of this acknowledgement are to us what they were to this young man, right? 
having done all that you can do, having tried wealth, youth, power, and even, as we read in this passage, having tried to religiously justify yourself with your own personal self-righteousness and self-salvation projects, you still lack one thing, according to Jesus. (laughs) And what's the one thing that you lack? What's the one thing that our world lacks? Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. See, friends, the gospel that we're going to be looking at in in the next couple of episodes, it is the greatest news in the history of good news ever. But if we want its goodness, we're going to have to acknowledge and submit ourselves to Jesus' godness. We're going to have to reorientate, uh, reorient our desires and redefine our treasure from uh, the fading uh, of the temporary to the glory of the eternal. We're going to have to look for some treasure that's in heaven. okay? And then in doing that, we're going to have to open ourselves up to the journey of following Jesus. Which means we're going to maybe have to submit to his idea of goodness when he talks about it. Because the good news of the gospel is only good because it's about God. Now, if we don't do this, well, then like the rich young man, um, our preoccupations with the things of this world will increasingly take ownership of us. Uh, We will continuously time and time again walk away sad not so much because we have many possessions but because our many possessions and worldviews and perspectives have us and that of all tragedies that would be the greatest one i hope this has been helpful to you if it has um, share it like it do the things Think about your need to embrace the godness in order to step into the goodness. Because we're going to need to posture our hearts in that direction in order to take this journey together. I'll see you next week for The Power of Is.